that we study all the time because something was going on in the church. And if you even think about the church at the time of the book of Acts, you had this huge mountain to climb of trying to incorporate and get Jews to incorporate and welcome Gentiles into the same church. And then you had the whole thing about even women and all of that. And then you had, oh, you mean even if a pagan gets saved and accepts Christ, that somehow they're my spiritual equal and we should welcome. I mean, they had all these things to deal with. And we forget about it. And so the reason I say that is because we all have to remember that when we talk about the church, and I'm talking here about the local church, the local church is always going to have problems because the local church always has people. Many years ago, I went to a pastor's conference at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and one of the speakers says, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. But we all get that. We're all people. And every once in a while, we're going to, you know, rub each other the wrong way. We, we've got to learn how to get along over the long haul and work things out. That's the way God intended. Now, what we're going to come to tonight in Third John, though, is, is much more dramatic than that. It's something that the elder John felt he needed to address to his dear friend Gaius that we were introduced to last week. So I just want to read this to you, and then I want to go back and share some thoughts with you tonight. But I want you to get the flow here. Last week, he was so supportive of Gaius and so supportive of Gaius supporting others. It was such a positive message. And not that we're not going to get anything positive out of tonight, but this is certainly one of those things that just sort of smacks you in the face. Because here's what John says, verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not acknowledge us. Therefore, if I come, I will call attention to the deeds he is doing. The bringing of unjustified charges against us with evil words. And not being content with that, he not only refuses to welcome the brothers himself, but hinders the people who want to do so and throws them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is bad, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does not or does what is bad is not, has not even seen God. Demetrius has been testified to by all, even by the truth itself. We also testify to him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you right away, and we will speak face to face. Peace be with you. The friends here greet you. Greet the friends there by name. Now again, taking into account the historical background, we now begin to understand what John, the elder, is facing here and what Gaius, his friend, is facing. We don't know what position or role Gaius or Diotrephes or Demetrius held in the church. We don't know whether one of them was a pastor. They were all church leaders. We don't know exactly. But here's what we do know based upon what John said. Unlike now helping and receiving and supporting true Christian ministers, we find out in this letter that John said, this guy, Diotrephes, not only doesn't want to help those who should be helped, but he's hindering people in the church who want to help them and do what's right. In fact, he's gone so far as to throw them out of the church. And John's like, enough is enough. 
This must be dealt with. So again, we even see here in the pages of Scripture, once again, that things in the church weren't always like everybody just loved each other and got along. No. They had to deal with issues all the time because there were people. And specifically tonight, John is talking to Gaius about this guy named Diotrephes. And notice what he says about Diotrephes in verse 9. He loves to be first. Literally, he aspires to be preeminent. He wants to be in control. Now, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is supposed to be preeminent. That Jesus Christ is supposed to be first. Not any human being. And yet here we see that Diotrephes is wanting to basically be first. And be out there in front. And make sure that everybody in the church knows that he's the one in charge. He's the one in control. This whole scenario with Diotrephes reminds me of a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 18. It's a very important principle. One sinner can destroy much good. One thing that we have to realize in the local church, and I think a lot of us sometimes don't realize that, that one, one person in a local church with a bitterness, with a bad attitude, with a critical spirit, sort of some of the things I talked about last week, how much one person can begin to spread their, their negativity and all of that around to others. And that what they do, how it can negatively affect others. And we all have to be careful of that. We need to make sure that as members of the body, that we're not in any way doing anything to not edify or build up the body. We don't want to be a Diotrephes who is tearing the body down. We want to, we are charged with in the New Testament to build up the body of Christ. But we see what's in the way here. What's in the way is a huge ego. What's in the way is pride. And it goes all the way back to the fall of Satan himself. It will always be what trips us up. It's what, it's what caused Lucifer and the angels to fall. They said, we don't want God to be in charge anymore. We want to be like the Most High. And in their pride... They rose up against God. Pride will always get us. In 28 years of church ministry, almost all problems can be traced back to someone trying to push their own agenda or push self above the good of the group that caused problems in a local church. And you see it right here. Diotrephes. A man with a huge ego is tearing this local church apart. And notice a couple other things that John says. Not only does he have this ego and this pride, but he says in verse 9, he does not even acknowledge us. He does not accept us. He does not receive us. He's not open to us. This is John. This is the Apostle John. In other words, John is saying... Diotrephes does not accept our leadership. 
If you're in leadership in a local church, don't be shocked if other people don't accept your leadership all the time. They didn't accept John's leadership, and he was an apostle. Paul, they didn't accept Paul's leadership at times. They didn't accept Peter's leadership at times. They didn't even accept Jesus' leadership. So we can't be surprised if people are not willing to accept being led by others. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the church. And then he says, therefore, verse 10, if I come, I will call to attention the deeds he's doing. And here's what he's doing. He's bringing these unjustified charges against us with evil words. These words in the Greek mean to accuse one falsely with malicious words. So not only is Diotrephes wanting to be preeminent, not only is Diotrephes not accepting the leadership of the apostle John and the other apostles, now he's going around attacking John and saying things about John that isn't true. Gee, have you ever had someone else say things about you that wasn't true? Then we know what's going on here, right? But this is in the church. Yeah. This guy's a leader in the church. Yeah. And let me say this. You'll notice that John never chides Gaius or anybody else in this church for, you guys shouldn't have had diatrophies in leadership in the first place. You should have known better than to put him in leadership. You don't see that here. Because a lot of times, you and I don't know how someone's going to react to spiritual leadership until they get in there. I, I would equate this in some way to, say, marriage as a pastor. <laughs> I've married a lot of couples over the years. The couples that I married, I felt like, hey, they, they were on the right foot when they got started. But that didn't mean somewhere down the line that something didn't creep into that relationship that caused that relationship to dissolve. It got started on the right foot, but it didn't end well. And that's the way a lot of people are in spiritual leadership. You know, you do the best you can as a church and you, you allow people to, to serve and stuff, but sometimes you don't know how they're going to react to that, that role, that position, that situation, that opportunity until they actually get in there. And, and sometimes it goes to people's heads. Sometimes they get lifted up in pride and begin to think that if God is starting to use them or work through them, it's, it's because of them. It's not God. And, and they begin after time to get a big head. And so that's why all of us, whenever we assume responsibility in the local church or any kind of spiritual responsibility, we need to make sure that we keep our pride in check, especially if we see God using us in some way. Then he says, and not being content with that, as if that wasn't enough, diatrophies isn't satisfied with that, he not only refuses then to welcome the brothers himself. In other words, instead of being out there supporting ministers like he talked about last week in the first eight verses, he's not, not doing that. And then he hinders, prevents, forbids, in some ways restrains the people who want to do it. It's bad enough whenever 
a Christian, especially a leader in a local church, isn't doing what God wants them to do and wants others to do, it's a whole other level when they try to prevent others from doing what God wants them to do. In a sense, there, it, it seems like there must have been some intimidation going on here by Diotrephes. That in some way he was going around the church, either using his power, his position, whatever, to intimidate others, not to show the love of Christ to Christian ministers in some way. And then the final straw, according to John, at the end of verse 10 is, he's literally throwing these people who are only trying to do God's will out of the church. Very interestingly, the words to throw them out literally mean to tear apart. Diotrephes is literally tearing the church apart. So, far from being, oh man, if we could go back to those early days in the church where there weren't any problems and everybody got along, and surely these guys who were there during the time of Christ, man, if if I was a member of that church and they were, I'm sure we would all just, no. People are people. They've always been that way and they'll always be that way. But here's what John really wants to get across to Gaius. Verse 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is bad, but what is good. And in the context, obviously, what is bad is Diotrephes. He's basically saying, look, here's something that everyone in a local church needs to be aware of. And that is, just because you have people in a local church doesn't mean everybody who goes to that local church, even everybody who's in leadership in that local church, should be followed as an example. Very interestingly, the word imitate here in verse 11 is the Greek word mimeomai, which is where we get our English word and concept of mimic or mime. That's what the concept is. And so John is just saying to Gaius and to the church and to all of us, hey, guys, even within your local church, be careful of who influences you. Be careful of who you are following. Be careful whose example you are allowing to, in a sense, lead you and and set the way for you. Because not everyone in the local church is going to be providing a good, positive, spiritual, godly example all the time. And Diotrephes, obviously in this this context, is somebody that John is calling out and saying to Gaius and to the church, don't follow that guy. But he says, do follow what is good. And then he goes on to say, the one who does good is of God. Now, a couple things. First of all, notice in verse 11 that John doesn't get into the nitty-gritty of determining good and bad because I think in John's mind, a spirit-filled Christian is going to know who's being good and who's being bad. It should be self-evident to the spirit-filled Christian. To someone who's being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, that Christian should be able to know, hey, wait a minute, that's not right. Or, this is good. This is honorable. This is, this is excellent. 
and favorable and acceptable in the eyes of God. And then when he says the one who does good is of God, he's talking about the fact that the source of our actions can be found in God. In other words, he's reminding us that everything that we do and say has a source. John says this in 1 John. That's why he says we've got to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Well, when he's saying that, he's talking about people who are out there speaking publicly, human beings, but he's saying everything they say has a spirit behind it. And either it's the Holy Spirit or it's a demonic spirit. And the same thing is true in our life. Sort of humbling, sort of sobering. But do you realize that everything that you and I do and say as a Christian has its source either in God or it could be traced to the devil? I mean, think about that. That, that. that might be something we need to think about, but that's true. That's why Jesus could turn to Peter when Peter was t- trying to rebuke Jesus for going to the cross. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me who? Satan. Because Satan. Satan was the source of what Peter was saying, not God. And so we have to understand that when we say and do anything, We're either, our source is either God himself or it's Satan himself. There is no, well, it's in, there is no in between. And that's what John means by he who does good is of God. But the one who does what is bad hasn't even seen God. Now, I don't believe he's saying or judging Diotrephes' salvation here. I don't think he's saying that the one who's doing bad here necessarily isn't even a Christian. If you study this in the Greek, the phrase means to become acquainted with through experience. In other words, he's saying the one who's doing bad is not becoming acquainted with God through experience. In fact, the word seen literally means in the Greek to stare at. He's saying if Diotrephes, I think this is what John is trying to say, if Diotrephes was truly in fellowship with his God and truly staring at God, then he wouldn't be acting this way. The whole reason why he's doing bad and he's filled with pride and he's doing the things he's doing is because he's not in fellowship with God. He's not spending time with God. He's not staring, if you will, and focused on God. And that could be said of all of us. That's why maintaining our fellowship and our personal relationship with Christ is so important because it will change us. It will transform us. It will change the way we think. It will change what we say, how we say it, what we do, how we do it. It will transform anything in the presence of God. We are changed. So then in verse 12, John says, well, since I have told you, here's who not to follow. Let me give you somebody specifically in the church that I think you should follow. His name is Demetrius. And he says three main things about Demetrius. First of all, he says, unlike Diotrephes, Demetrius has been testified to by all. The word testify here means to affirm or confirm truth. In other words, John is saying, do you realize, Gaius, that one of the reasons why you should follow Demetrius is because when you talk to other Christians or when other Christians in the church talk about Demetrius, they have nothing but good things to say about that guy. If they were asked about Diotrephes, couldn't say that. And so he says, the testimony of others is is something huge. What do other people think? Are they confirming and affirming 
Or are they saying, I don't know, you better be careful. And then the second thing he says is, Demetrius has also been testified to by the truth itself. What's that mean? That the truth itself is testifying. It simply means that his life, Demetrius's life, corroborates the truth of his own words. That in a sense, what John is saying here is that Demetrius's life and what he says out of his lips coincide. Or as we say, he's walking the talk. It's not just talk. He's living it out. He's flushing out his Christian faith. And so the truth itself is also a witness. And then finally, John says, we also testify. And this word means to give a good report. We are able to give a good report about him. And then John says, oh, and by the way, you know that our testimony is true. You know, a principle that John is sharing there is this. Reputation gives us credibility with other people. Reputation gives us credibility with other people. John says, you know, Gaius, that I'm telling the truth because you know me. You know my reputation. You know that I'm a person who tells the truth, who cuts it straight. And you know what I'm telling you is true. So he's talked about this terrible problem that's tearing apart the church. He's talked about a bad example. He's talked about a good example. So in this context, before we move on and close this out tonight, a couple big things I think God would have for us out of here. One, going back to this whole concept, let's be careful as Christians always about who's influencing us, who we're following, who our examples are, who our mentors are, or who we're allowing into our life to sort of direct us. Because very clearly, John is saying to Gaius here, Gaius, this guy, Diotrephes, I don't care whether he's a leader in the church or not. I don't care who he is. and what He should not be followed. He is a bad example right now. On the flip side of that, I think the challenge for all of us is this. Are we being a good example? Are we laying down steps that we would want other Christians to follow us in? Can we say with our life, as Paul did, follow me as I follow Christ? Do we realize that we are an example? Just by being in a church, people will watch and see and observe and all that. And then, obviously... The more any of us are willing to take on more and more responsibility or leadership in the church, then obviously the focus of others gets a little bit more intense. That's just part of it. And so leaders are watched even more closely by others. What kind of example are we being to others? And so obviously in this context... We would want to strive to be like Demetrius rather than Diotrephes. But I'm so glad that John didn't just end it there. John wanted to make sure that 
he shared with this church and with Gaius his own personal desire before he wrapped this letter up, as short as it was. By the way, I want to mention this too. We always have nicknamed or sometimes people call the Apostle John the Apostle of Love. Because especially in 1 John and in the Gospel of John, John talks about the love of God so much. And again, he was the disciple that laid his head on Jesus' chest. And there was a very close relationship between John and Jesus. But notice here, there would be many, even Christians, if they were to read 3 John and see what John was saying and how he was acting as an apostle, they would deem him as being very unloving. And yet what we've learned in our study of 2nd and 3rd John, and even Jude on Sunday, is that actually John, by standing up for truth, is actually being as loving as he possibly can. You see, it would actually be very unloving for John not to have addressed this issue. It would have been very unloving of John and uncaring of John if John would have just let this go and let this play out and maybe let Diotrephes completely destroy the church. That would have been very unloving. So sometimes, as I said, we as Christians can be viewed by our actions and by our words at times by standing up for truth as being unloving. No way was John being unloving here. Then in verse 13, I have many things to write to you, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. In our modern day and age, I think we could say it this way. John speaking to Gaius. Gaius, I'm tired of texting and emailing. I don't care how good we are at communicating. There are some things that you just can't communicate by text and email. It has to be face-to-face. It has to be in person. And can I say, we need to get back to that in the church. That's why here at the Oasis, we want to promote fellowship as much as possible. Getting people together. Getting us connected to each other. It is the biblical way to do church. So he says in verse 14, I hope to see you right away And we will speak face to face. Then verse 15. Peace be with you. How important was that? To a church that was torn apart with conflict and contention, John says, I desire peace for you guys. They sure could use it because, man, they have not been at peace as a local church. By the way, The word peace here doesn't just mean a cessation of hostility towards each other, but an enjoyment of God's blessings. So don't miss that principle. God's people need to cease being hostile to each other so that they can enjoy the blessings that God wants to pour out to them. Christians and churches that are always fighting amongst each other will not truly be able or be in a position to enjoy the blessings that God has for them. That's why James says, the way of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The Holy Spirit of God needs a proper environment to work in. 
The Holy Spirit is not going to come into a church and fall heavy upon a church and transform and change and, and, and do a great work whenever everybody's biting and devouring each other. That is not an environment that the Holy Spirit is going to be a part of. He's going to pull back. And so, John is desiring and praying and wishing for peace to come to this church. And I think John in his own mind is like, I need to get there and take care of this. <laughs> I need to take care of this guy Diotrephes and I need to get things right so that this church can move on and accomplish what God has for them. And then notice this. I love this. Every other New Testament letter addresses Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's great. But notice, John does something different in 3 John as he ends that no other letter does. He says, the friends here greet you. Greet the friends there by name. Why is that so important? Because when you study what went on in this church because of Diotrephes, there were some people who lost some friends through the conflict. There were friends who walked out on friends. In fact, I love what Walter Winchell once said. He said, a good friend will walk in when others walk out. And I think that these folks especially needed to be reminded that they had other friends. And even though that these friends weren't physically there, they were praying for them, they were supporting them, for them, and they were behind them 100%. He says, hey, your friends. You haven't lost all your friends. Your friends here greet you. And then he says, greet the friends there. The word greet here in the Greek language means to draw to oneself, to welcome, to receive joyfully. He's saying to us as Christian brothers and sisters in the local church, how important it is that we also not only are able to call ourselves brothers and sisters, but we call ourselves friends. And the Bible teaches that there should be friends that stick closer than brothers. Proverbs 18.24 And I love the fact that John also says, Hey, greet those friends there by name. There's something important about taking the time and energy to learn other people's names. And I realize, even in a church our size, none of us are ever going to remember everybody's name. But we should all strive to learn each other's names. And can I just say this to encourage you, I hope? Don't, don't be upset at yourself if you forget people's names. I do it all the time. I even forget people that I know. And so when they say hi, I just smile. Yeah, and hopefully it'll get there. <laughs> but 
don't be afraid also, especially early on, even for a couple of months, because I do this, to go up to people and say, I know you've introduced yourself at least three or four times to me, but can you tell me your name again, please? Because I want to learn it. Don't be afraid to do that. I've done that. I continue to do that. Because just the time I get all of you down, then new people come. And I have to remember more names. It was like Sunday. I think we had, my goodness, we had so many visitors on Sunday. And I'm like, okay, God, here we go. And I realized some of those people were from out of town, like some of you guys, you know, were, were away for the holiday. But some of those people were actually visiting our church to see if this was a church for them. And so I'm like, well, I, if they come back next Sunday, I want to try to greet them by name. Because here's the principle that John is really sharing. The Bible says that if we want friends, we've got to be a friend. That's a biblical principle. And so what that means is simply this. We all are challenged by the fact that are we attempting to build friendships and to make friendships? Or are we just trying to let it all happen? Because what the Bible teaches is friendships just won't just happen. They just won't. If, if you or anybody else sort of comes to even a church like ours that is so friendly and whatever, but if you just sit there and don't put yourself out there and don't try to learn other people's names and never come to anything maybe more than Sunday and Tuesday or try to just go out with a few people every once in a while and just get to know a few other people, if you never, then you're probably going to be one of those people who go, oh, you know, that church is filled with cliques and nobody accepts me. No. How much of an effort have, do we make in order to really build friendships and really try to connect with other people? And I think that's what John is saying. That's why it's so important that he ends the letter the way he does. In a sense, what John is doing is just being a great pastor here, saying, look, guys, I know you've been through a rough season. Your church has been torn apart by one man's huge ego. And people have left the church. There's a lot of damage done here. But you need to set, in a sense, push the reset button. And those of you that are left, we're going to deal with diatrophies. We're going to deal with that. But those of you that are left, you need to start loving each other, building each other up, and start building friendships with each other. And it will be out of that soil of truly your love for God and your love for each other, that that church is going to begin to bloom and blossom and grow again. What a great letter John wrote to a local church. So the next time you may be discouraged about the state of church, go to 3 John. It's a good reminder to us that even back at the very beginning of the church, The church has always had problems to deal with because the church always has people in it. And because we're people, we're going to cause problems. God help us to deal with each other and with the problems in a biblical, Christ-like, loving way. Next week!
Next week, Luke. Can I tell you how excited I am about Luke? I can't wait to dive into the Gospel of Luke. So get ready. We're going to have a great study starting next Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for, Lord, putting up with imperfect people in your church. God, there is no perfect church because all churches have people. And yet, Lord, you definitely share with us in your word how as a church body, how as Christians we should deal with problem people or problem situations in the church. That there is a right way and a wrong way to deal with these things. And Lord, especially tonight, In this passage that we've looked at, remind all of us and help all of us to be conscious about the examples that we're following, the influences that we're allowing into our life. As John just so simply and clearly said, don't follow what's bad, follow what's good. And so Lord, help all of us through your Holy Spirit and with the wisdom of your word, to know who we should have as our examples and who we should allow to influence us. And then, Lord, on the flip side of that, help us to always be conscious that we are setting an example for others. What kind of example is it? Are we being a good, godly example? Are we being Christ so that if others were to follow us, would they be following Christ? Help us, Lord, to remember that we won't know till we get to heaven the people that may have observed and looked at our lives that we didn't even realize. So we can't even know all the time all the people that may be watching us at different times of our life and seasons of our life. So, Lord, that's where we've always got to be in tune with You. So help us to do that. And God, as John so greatly closed this letter, Help us to focus on building friendships within the body. God, it's so great to be able to call each other brothers and sisters in Christ because we are part of the same family. But Lord, even in a family, we know that that doesn't always mean that we're close, that we're really connected and in fellowship. We can be in a family and be very distant from one another. But Lord, in your family, You desire us not only to be brothers and sisters in Christ, but you desire us to build some friendships with others. We can't be friends with everyone, but there are people in our midst that you want us to connect with, that you want us to be friends so that we can mutually encourage each other in our walk with God. So help us, Lord, to be a good friend. Help us to be more intentional about building and maintaining friendships. Help us to realize, Lord, that friendships take work. Friendships just don't happen. We thank you, God, that you're the best friend we could ever have. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you on